Scripture reading is taken from the book of Exodus. I invite you to turn your Bibles there to the book of Exodus chapter 20. We come back to our examination of the Ten Commandments. If you're like me, you're thinking, oh, I know the Ten Commandments pretty well. It's not, there's a lot of things I don't know about the Bible, but I'm pretty sure I know what the Ten Commandments say. I think it's really wise for any Christian to regularly take a fresh look at the Ten Commandments. It's our guide. It's our, our way of honoring and glorifying God. And it's a way also of showing not only love to God, but love for one another. The first four commandments deal with our love for God. And so we're going to read again about the fourth commandment. You may remember that a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this in the broader sense when we talked about uh, what the Sabbath is all about. And then today we're going to look at it in a more narrow sense and just think about what is it telling us about the whole week. And then Lord willing, next Lord's Day, we're going to look at the day itself, the Sabbath day, isolating just on that and how we can practically apply what this commandment is telling us in our lives. So we're in the second of the three uh, messages on the uh, fourth commandment. Verses 8 through 11 of Exodus chapter 20. Let's hear now God's word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, when we looked at this last time, you may just, just as a little refresher here, um, in case you didn't remember everything that I said two weeks ago, I'm sure that's not the case, but just in case. Remember what we said that there are three broad biblical emphases concerning the Sabbath. And the first one we saw was that the, the Sabbath is a, a, a word that originates in creation. It's a creation ordinance. Came along before man's fall into sin. Remember we talked about how uh, the Sabbath day, labor, and marriage. Those three are what we call creation ordinances. Right from the very beginning, this was the foundation of any society. And the more one honored and kept the principles and the wisdom of God's word, when it comes to those three fundamental aspects of society, the better off a society will be. And of course, more, more specifically, the better off the people of God will be in glorifying him and in reflecting his glory to the world. Then we saw that it not only originates in creation, but it celebrates salvation. Here in Exodus 20, I'm the Lord your God, we read at the beginning here, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I delivered you 
I redeemed you from slavery. <coughs> Excuse me. And that was a picture, we said, of our salvation in Christ because we were slaves to sin. And so it's in the context of deliverance and freedom that God has given us laws. A lot of people think you can't have both of those at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. No. True freedom only comes when we live by the laws that God gave us for our good. And then, of course, the Sabbath day anticipates glorification. It anticipates glorification. The day will come when we will enter into our permanent and perfected rest. We will rest from our labors, as Revelation tells us. Now, with that in mind, think about what verses uh, 9 and 10 are telling us specifically here. We tend to think of the fourth commandment as only telling us what to do on Sundays or what not to do on Sundays. And a lot of times people just think about, oh, yeah, Sunday, I can't do this, can't do that. Well, I do it anyway, so I don't feel good about it. <clears throat> no, there's much more to it than that. It's telling us how to live every week of our lives. Six days shall you labor. And he goes into that some. And, and then he says the Sabbath is, a, is set aside for the Lord, for worship of God's people. Every day then, let's begin with this, every day belongs to God. And there's a, a rhythm to the way we live our lives. It was given to us from the creation. Work six days, seventh day is a Sabbath. Six days, Sabbath. Six days, Sabbath. Repeating, repeating and repeating. And that, that's the rhythm God has established for this world. Now, I don't know, I don't know how we would ever get away from that seven-day seven concept it's so embedded in our, in our lives, and rightly so. But I read recently that I believe it's the French who are toying with the idea of 10-day weeks. Can you imagine? I think that'd throw the whole world into even greater turmoil than it's already in. 10-day weeks. How would you work that out? Well, anyway, God has established a seven-day pattern. And so we, we are going by that as God's people to align ourselves that way. But we need to remember that whatever day it is, every day belongs to God. It's not our day. We sometimes say that, well, this is going to be my day, or this is going to be so-and-so's day. And then we've got all these days set aside from uh, historical people whose birthdays we remember on a certain day. And uh, every I think there's an every day of the year, it's some kind of day. Now, being a Southpaw, I'm glad that there's such a thing as left-handers day. And then you've got things like uh, Cinco de Mayo. It's, it's something every time. Secretary's day and on and on and on. And there's nothing wrong with that as such. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it. we tend to think of it of our days that way. But just back up and remember. But ultimately, whose day is any day? It's God's day. Psalm 118, verse 24 is one we often think about. This is the day the Lord has made, right? 
we will rejoice and be glad in it. And you could say that about any day. We tend to think of that as being especially for uh, Sundays, first day of the week, but it really could be said of any day. Now, sometimes, especially as we get <clears throat> older, and I'm finding this to be true for myself, I have to stop and think, what day is today? I was acting like thinking it was Tuesday and it's actually Monday. Never had that situation come up in your life? Most of us have. What day is today? Well, here's a good place to begin answering that if you're a Christian. It's God's day. And you can build off of that. Maybe figure out whether it's Monday or Tuesday after that. But whatever day it is, it's God's day. He's given it to you. Every day is a gift. We aren't promised tomorrow, are we? We could, we could end up uh, having ended our life before today is over. Not, I'm not advocating that. But we all know that our days are in God's hands. He knows exactly how long we'll be in this world because it's his, every day is his day. God rules over every day. There's no day that takes place that's not under his control. And directly or indirectly, he's implementing that rule. I, I think it's interesting when you go back to Genesis 1, and you read about how God created the heavens and the earth. And when it mentions the sun and the moon, it says God gave them to rule over the earth. The sun rules by day. The moon rules by night. And then a little later in Genesis 1, when God created Adam and Eve, we're told that they were given the task of exercising dominion over the earth. Rule. We are like God's vice regents, where we are under God seeking to fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it, exercise dominion over the earth. All of this is, are, these are tools that God uses to exercise his rule, his ultimate rule over every day. And then, of course, God is distinguishing every day. He makes a distinction between the six days of the week that we are given for us to work and the one day a week that we are given for us to rest and worship. Genesis 1, again, I think, indicates that at the end of every day of those early, the first six days of creation, it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day, all the way through. Now, this one simple practical thing there about every day belonging to God. This means that God is the Lord of your time. God is the Lord of your time. And your time really is God's time for you. God gives you these days that he's given you. So the question is, how am I using these days? Am I wasting them? 
Am I mindlessly just going through the motions and doing all this list of stuff I got to do without giving any thought to their ultimate purpose? Am I offering myself daily to God to do what I do? You know, whether it's mowing the yard or taking someone food or going on a vacation or going to the office or whatever it is God has given us to do, we are to do it for the Lord. Every day belongs to God. And that's a great thing to keep in mind. Very simple, but I think it's very important. Secondly, notice that six days, we're told, are to be devoted to work. Six days are to be devoted to work, which is exactly what we're told uh, in verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now, we, we see the word labor, the word work. And we really need to ask ourselves, have I ever really thought through this whole matter of work from a Christian perspective? What what does God's word tell me about work? That's a very broad term, as we'll see. Not just narrowly the place where you are employed and where you receive income, but more broadly, all the tasks that you undertake. The purpose of work. I already partially answered that with Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, where God created Adam and Eve. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, exercise dominion over the earth, and so on. He calls us not just to sit around. He didn't ask Adam just to sit back in your recliner and enjoy living in this wonderful garden. And just, just chill, just, just take it easy, you know, don't worry about anything. No, God wanted Adam and Eve to take care of his world. He gave them this place to live, an environment in which to live, and things to do. God didn't plant gardens for them. He gave them that task. And on and on we could go with that aspects of daily life. Colossians 3.23 is a good principle here. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whatever you do, including your work, you need to do it with all the vim and vigor that you can muster and do it with excellence. A Christian view of work in other words, we are, we are given certain callings in life. We call it, the word is vocation. What is my vocation? Most people today are more concerned about vacation. You know, they, they work to, in order to play. And they don't see their work in and of itself as a, a kind of offering to the Lord, a way of serving God. But vocation means This is God's calling for you. Whatever it is God has given you to do, usually it's a combination of things that you're you're interested in and that you enjoy doing and that you have some ability to do it with. You see it as a calling. We used to call, uh, from a Christian perspective, we used to refer to work and our understanding of work as the Protestant work ethic. That's a really good phrase. 
It wasn't invented with the Protestants in the Reformation, but they really recovered it, but it because it had gotten lost in the neglect of biblical teaching that had gone on for centuries, and began that began to change uh, with the Reformation. So, the Protestant work ethic really is work, work hard, work because the eye of your real master in heaven is on you and you want him to be pleased with the work that you do. Not only that, but you want your work to benefit other people. And not only that, but you want your work to be done the right way. Whether people ever notice it or not, you do things by speaking truthfully, by doing everything with excellence, not just trying to get by. It's, it's a heightened concept of how we should view our work. Now, what do we mean by work? Work is really anything you do that are God-given tasks. Parenthood, marriage, yes, jobs, helping out with the baseball team for the kids or the soccer team. Whatever it is, it's work. Repairing a roof, on and on we could go. Now contrast that with the popular view of work. Many people don't want to, want to work at all, right? Especially these days. Part of that, of course, is because uh, government tends to reward idleness in a sort of convoluted attempt to help, then what backfires is when people are rewarded for not working. Being sinful by nature, that appeals to our lazy side. You know, why would I want to work if I can have enough money sent my way without me working at all? Well, there's a good reason. You know, you ought to you ought to receive what you deserve to receive. You ought to earn it. But also, there's this high calling of what you do in your work. My job is to please my employer and to do what he wants me to do or she wants me to do, yes, but even more than that, my master in heaven. So, how does that compare to the way so many people are thinking today about work? It is said that Americans work at their play and play at their work. Probably a lot of truth to that. But there are blessings with work. There are blessings with work. And I'm not just talking about the paycheck. That counts, yes. But there's more to it than that. Many people think that work was a part of the curse. When Adam and Eve sinned and fell then they had to work as a result. No, remember what I just said. They were given the task of working before they fell into sin. Work is a privilege. It is a calling, whatever that work may be. And so blessings come. When you, when you do something, when you, when you complete a project, whether it's finishing the planting of a garden and seeing the results of that, 
or a project at, at your job that's taken a long time and you've, you've done it and you know you've done it the best way you can and, and you, you know that it's going to accomplish what you would, were hoping it would, you get a sense of satisfaction with that, right? And, and in a sense, God did that after every day. It, it says, and it was good. And then God looked at everything after he created man and woman and he said, it was very good. There's a sense in which we are like that too. We look back and say, wow, I did that. And I'm pleased and satisfied with that because I've accomplished something that will be useful and productive. A blessing that comes to work. Jesus worked. Jesus worked six days a week in his ministry and training of his disciples. I think we need to remember something. We need to remember that Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning it's for your benefit that you work six days and, and then have the Sabbath day. So work is a blessing. And then the Sabbath day of rest is a blessing. There are limits to work. Some people say, well, it says I'm supposed to work six days. Well, my job, I only work five days. That's, that's not the point. Do everything that needs to be done, whether it's technically your job or it's home responsibilities or helping other people or whatever it is, get those done during those six days. Limit yourself, if you want to put it that way, to doing those things in those six days. You remember when the, the, in the wilderness the, the Israelites uh, needed to eat and they were on the move so they, they couldn't you know, plant gardens and wait for the, the planting season to, to end up with harvesting season. They, they wouldn't even be there if they had done that. God provided food, right? He provided manna from heaven, a bread-like substance. And he gave them the responsibility of going out and, and collecting that manna all on the fields, wherever they were, and they could do that every day at, at, uh, for those six days. In other words, it was a kind of labor and providing food for them. And on the sixth day, they had to collect enough for two days because the Lord did not want them to have to do that on the Sabbath day. And they had to trust God to provide for them. But on the other hand, they had the responsibility to go out and get the the man on the ground and, and collected. Same principle applies now. God provides for us, but he uses us as a part of the process for his provisions. And we do that, whatever it is, for six days. Now, <clears throat> there are people who don't see it that way, of course. Uh, I just can't get over this statement that Bill Gates uh, made one time. You know, he doesn't believe in God. He's going to, eventually. Uh, but he doesn't believe in God. And he made this statement one time. He was asked why he didn't believe in God. Just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. Well, I think that's the way a lot of people feel. You don't have to have billions of dollars to 
have that attitude. You know, I could get a lot more done in my life if I would just forget all this religious stuff on Sundays and, you know, make my own list of things to do. Sunday's become kind of a catch-all day, hasn't it, for a lot of people. Everything they didn't get done around the house and whatnot uh, during the week, uh, we can do it on Sunday. And so there's all these people just treating Sunday like just another day. We'll see more about that next week, about how that is to be worked out. Last thing I want you to notice, one day is to be devoted to rest and worship. Six days will be devoted to work. Six days shall you do all your work. And then it says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. A Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You shall not do any work or anything that has to do with you in your home. He lists some examples there. How do we work that out? We'll get into more details next week, but just two simple basic things here. To, to get us started in our thinking. How are we to devote this Sabbath day the way the Lord wants us to? Well, there's two things we know we must do. And then there's some, there are some things that we can do. Two things we must do, some things we can do. What must we do? We must rest and we must worship. Those are the two things we know that we have to do on the Sabbath day. You know, the word Sabbath actually means rest. The seventh day is a rest day. And when God talks about rest, he's talking about the whole person. The whole person getting rest. That is spiritual rest and taking a physical break, a pause, if you will, from all the things you've done in your work the other six days of the week. And then, of course, we must worship. That's not really debatable. We rest, we worship. The combination of those two things are our reference points, really, for how we are to flesh that out in our own personal lives. And then consider what we can do. What we can do. In Matthew 12, Jesus talks about uh, something that, uh, a controversy that came up because of what he and his disciples were doing on the Sabbath day. Let me read that. It's the first part of chapter 12 of Matthew. It says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then Jesus went on and healed that man. We can do essential things on the Sabbath, like eating, like doing acts of mercy, as Jesus was doing, healing that man. We're going to see that we have to avoid this legalistic approach to the Sabbath that adds all these things that you can and can't do, which is what the Pharisees did. And they, in doing that, they forgot the main principle. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, Jesus said. Be merciful. There's someone in our church today that can't be here because they're helping an elderly person go to the hospital. I give them an excuse for that. I'm sure that person wishes they could be here, but also is aware of the fact that this is something that needed to be done in a way that uh, that person could help. We understand that. By the way, next week we'll talk about the ox in the ditch too. Our modern use of the term weekend is confusing. You know, we talk about the weekend and what we mean by that is half of Friday, all of Saturday and all of Sunday. But our calendars have got it right. You look at your calendar and you've got the weeks and the first day of every week on the left side is Sunday. So it's not really the weekend. It's the beginning of the new week. It's the first day of the week, as the New Testament tells us. And so we need to think that way and not, not be uh, overly rigid. We, we just, you know, it's all right to talk about the weekend in a general sense, I suppose, but we understand as Christians what the, the week is really like. Six days, one day. Not four and a half and two and a half. We need to respect that arrangement because it follows God's arrangement of creation. Your weekly calendar then is subdivided. Six days following one day. First day of the week and then the other six. Now, in light of this fourth commandment, let's ask ourselves, how well are we ordering our lives each week with these guidelines, these laws given to us by the Lord. It's, there's no room for debate. Remember the Sabbath day. Six days you shall labor, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. I think ultimately this comes down to a matter of faith. Am I going to trust God by how I use my weeks? Am I going to use my weeks the way God has establish it, the way he set it up. Most of us probably realize that we do that to some extent. <clears throat> but also most of us, if not all of us, can see ways in which we could be more consistent 
more pleasing to God. By the way, we set aside that seventh day. Christ is Lord of our time. He's Lord of all of our days. We confess Him as our Savior, as our Lord. But one of the ways we have to, to show that, prove that, is submitting to His Lordship when it comes to how we use each week of our lives. It's a major way that we can please God by living the way we were created to live, as well as it's a beneficial practice for us and for others. The Lord Jesus Christ has come to revolutionize our understanding of how we use each week of our lives. As we rely on Him for having forgiven us our sin through His death on the cross and the new life that we have because of His resurrection from the dead, we understand that we're here to, to glorify Him, to obey Him, to honor Him, to please Him, to love Him. And we want to do that. So let's be thinking about how we're doing in our, our work week, so to speak. Somebody asks you what your work week is, <clears throat> saying, well, it begins on Monday morning, it ends on Sunday morning or Saturday night. And all kinds of work goes on during those six days. How well are we keeping our time the way God has ordained it and established it? His way is good. His way is the way of blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we, we acknowledge that we are often weak and inconsistent with applying the principles of the fourth commandment in our lives. And we ask you, Lord, to help us out of love and gratitude for what you, who you are and what you've done in our lives. We pray that you would enable us to adjust our lifestyles where needed, that we could more faithfully implement the principles of the fourth commandment in our personal lives. We thank you that you give us the power to do that, and we know you will bless us in doing that. Be honored, we pray, as we seek to keep this commandment. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.